John chapter 8, 48 to 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You have not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Well, thank you so much for reading for us, Luke. Um, please keep that scripture passage open there, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be diving into it together, and you'll find space for notes there in the bulletin on page four. But let's uh, go to the Lord and ask for his help as we consider his word together. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you so much for this time now to, uh, to sit um, at your feet, at the feet of your son, and, and hear your word. Uh, Lord, you've promised if anyone keeps your word, they will not see death. And so, Lord, we pray today that you'd help us to understand your word, help us to uh, embrace it by faith, help us to keep it. And we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Believe. Believe. That's the word that you often see shining over the door of Macy's during the holiday season. It is a call to embrace the wonder, perhaps even the miracle of Christmas. And we see a similar theme in most Christmas movies, from The Grinch to A Christmas Carol to Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, we're challenged to lay aside the cold, hard skepticism that comes with age, and instead to look at the world with the wonder and amazement of little children. Believe. Now, I wonder how you feel about that over the holidays. Uh, it can certainly be very, be very hard to do that, can't it? Uh, with everything that is happening in the world and everything that is happening personally in our own lives as well. Many of us would love to enjoy Christmas like a four-year-old, but there is work to do, there are bills to pay, there are difficult relationships to navigate. Uh, making Christmas fun for your four-year-old actually takes a lot of work, and uh, if you acted like a four-year-old, they certainly would never get out of bed and uh, there wouldn't be any gifts to give them. Uh, to think we can just lay aside the problems of the world uh, and, and just believe seems to be naive at best and perhaps a terrible marketing stunt at worst. Uh, at the same time, this idea of belief, of faith, surely is central to the Christmas season. Uh, the very word holiday means holy day. For centuries, Christians have celebrated the birth of Jesus this time of year. And so the call to believe seems right, but what does that really mean? Uh, does it mean burying our head in the sand, 
uh, convincing ourselves that things aren't so bad even as bombs fly in Israel and in Ukraine. Uh, Most of us face some sort of suffering that casts a dark shadow over the holiday celebrations. In that context, what does it mean really to believe? Uh, To put that another way, what is true faith? Uh, That's the question that we're considering today. Uh, We're now on the third part of this short Advent series. Uh, We've been looking together at John chapter 8. And here we see Jesus teaching about three uh, very fresh and contemporary issues. Uh, Those issues are freedom, family, and faith. Freedom, family, and faith. And so far, we've considered what Jesus says about true freedom in verses 31 through 36. Uh, There Jesus taught that he came to set us free. He came to set us free from sin. And last week, we considered true family in 37 through 47. And Jesus teaches there that God's family, the one true family, includes everyone who loves and listens to him. And this morning, we're looking at true faith in verses 48 through 59. Uh, and now, as you imagine, faith is, uh, is a pretty dominant biblical theme. Uh, the Bible tells us a lot of things about faith. I mean, we could think about faith in theological, philosophical terms. What is faith? Well, well faith involves knowledge. It involves assent. It involves trust as well. Now, we could dwell on the fruit of true faith. Uh, True faith always makes a difference in our lives. Uh, True faith always leads to good works. Uh, But instead of those things, I want to focus on on two statements that Jesus makes in these verses before us. Uh, These two true statements help us define true faith in in this way. Uh, Firstly, in order to be true, faith must have the right object. It must have the right object. Uh, And secondly, true faith must have the right objective, too. Uh, The right object and the right objective. In terms of uh, the object, it is who we believe in that matters most. Uh, The true object of faith is God's eternal Son, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, As for the objective, we need to be considering uh, what we are believing in Jesus Christ for. Uh, What exactly is it that we want Jesus to do for us? And the true objective of faith uh, we find in these verses is, in fact, the gift of eternal life. Uh, True faith is relying on God's eternal Son for the gift of eternal life. That's really the heart of what we're going to see this morning. Uh, True faith is about relying on God's eternal Son for the gift of eternal life. And that comes straight from these two statements that Jesus makes in verses 48 through 59. Uh, The true object comes from the second statement there in verse 58. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, And the true objective comes from verse 51. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who keeps my word shall not see death. And so firstly, let's think about the true object of faith. The true object of faith. Uh, When it comes to faith, it turns out the object of our faith actually is, is just as important as faith itself. Now, this is the question that separates really true faith from false faith. And that question is, who do you trust? Do you trust in God's eternal son, Jesus Christ? Or do you trust in anything or anyone else? You see, it doesn't really matter what faith is or how much you have if you put your faith in the wrong thing. And that is why the call to believe in the holidays is so vacuous. I mean, what are we meant to believe in? Are we meant to believe in Santa and his elves? Are we meant to believe in Macy's? Are we meant to believe in some sort of miracle of Christmas, whatever that miracle is? Belief or faith uh, has to be faith in something. 
Uh, imagine I was to invite you round for dinner, maybe even Christmas dinner, who knows? Uh, we gather around the table together, and, uh, and after giving thanks, I declare, well, come on, everyone, dig in. Uh, the problem is there is no food, and uh, the table is empty. Uh, what are you supposed to do when I tell you to eat? Well, just as eating requires food, so faith requires something to trust in. And so what is the object of faith, according to Jesus Christ? Well, actually, the answer is a little bit shocking. Uh, does Jesus call us to put our faith in God? That seems the natural thing, doesn't it? Believe in God. Yes, in one sense he does. Uh, but he doesn't just tell us to believe in, in any God, not just God in some abstract sense. No, Jesus calls us to put our trust in him specifically. And we see the statement he makes down in verse 58. And, and this is what I'm saying Jesus is claiming here. Look at verse 58. Uh, look down there with me. Uh, to give some context, Jesus has been sparring with his opponents. They've just accused him of being a heretic, a Samaritan, or, or maybe something worse. Maybe Jesus is demon-possessed. In answer to that ad hominem attack, uh, what does Jesus do? Well, he, he points out the truth. He tells us that he's come from God, that he honors God. Uh, and all of this is true simply because of who he is. Uh, look at verse 58 with me. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was, I am. What on earth does that mean? Why is, is the grammar so bad? I mean, this is really a bit of a pain to those of you who are grammarians. Should we kind of edit Jesus' phrase? I mean, before Abraham was, I am. It doesn't seem to make sense. Now, to understand that, we need to understand the background in the Old Testament. Uh, we need to know the background of the book of Exodus in particular. In Exodus chapter 3, God does an incredibly rare and amazing thing. He appears to Moses in physical form. Uh, in his compassion, he shows up. Uh, he's come down to rescue his people. He's there in the, the burning bush to commission and call Moses to that task of saving his people. Uh, and Moses didn't really know God at the time. And that becomes clear because uh, it's interesting what Moses says. Uh, he's willing to go. Uh, he's willing to go and represent God, but... but but what does he say? He says, God, I'm going to speak to the people, but, but who should I say sent me? What is your name? And, and actually in that moment, God reveals his mighty name. It's a name that is often translated the Lord in capital letters there in the Old Testament. And what is that name? What does God say to Moses? He says, uh, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. What an incredible statement. What an incredible name for God. Uh, this is what separates the true God from the idols of the nations. He's the eternal God, the unchanging God, the ever-present God, the great I am. Uh, then let's think back to John chapter 8. Before Abraham was, not I was, but I am. But what is Jesus claiming about himself? He's telling us that he, Jesus Christ, is the true and living God, the one who appeared to Abraham, the one who appeared to Moses. That God is now here on earth in human flesh. And so the real issue isn't whether you believe in God. Lots of people believe in God. In fact, uh, the people Jesus is speaking to believe in God. They're, they're religious leaders. I know the real question is whether you believe in Jesus Christ and, and what you believe about Jesus Christ is what matters. Do you believe that he was a mere man, that he was a good man, maybe an upright man, perhaps even a great moral teacher? Or do you believe that he was and is God, that he is the great I am, the true and living God, uh, who came to earth in human flesh? Uh, this surely is the true miracle of Christmas. 
not some sort of empty nostalgia about a bygone age, not some sort of naive optimism about the new year. I know the miracle of Christmas is what verse 58 is all about. Before Abraham was, I am. In Christ, the infinite, eternal, unchanging God came to earth. As John puts it earlier in, in chapter 1, verse 14, the eternal word became flesh and dwelled among us. And so let me ask you, when it comes to faith, who do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he left the glories of heaven and came to earth to save you? Or when you think about faith, is your faith in something else? In fact, is your faith in faith itself? It seems to me that is a very common and popular thing. Just believe. That's what you hear people say as if, as if belief itself was some sort of fundamental issue. I mean, it's just a human thing. All of us believe in something. It's inescapable. That's just who we are. That's just how we live. I'm sorry if this is a low blow for some, but it's like Ted Lasso. How many of you, uh, I won't ask how many of you have seen the Apple TV show, uh, Ted Lasso, but it's about an American uh, coach, a football coach, who moves to England and coaches a British soccer team. And now the show is hilarious at times, even if at others it's a little bit unsavory. Uh, But the authors do a, a great job, a great job of capturing the clash between American optimism and British despondency. Uh, Lasso is just so positive, it's annoying at times. And perhaps it's an example of what someone recently described as toxic positivity, a phrase very close to the heart of any Englishman. You could ask how much uh, positivity is toxic to an Englishman. Well, I would say any. But uh, one, of great, uh, one of Lasso's great slogans is that word, believe. In fact, he even hangs this huge sign in the locker room, believe, and he draws attention to that sign in one of his rousing halftime speeches. Uh, this is what he says, and I quote, uh, so far I've been hearing this phrase, you all got over here, and I ain't crazy about it. I'm not even going to try an American accent, I'm sorry. Uh, what is the phrase? It's the hope that kills you. You all know that? I disagree, you know. I think it's the lack of hope that comes and gets you. So I believe in hope. I believe in believe. I believe in hope. I believe in believe. Uh, Ted Lasso is not sponsored by Macy's. What a load of old nonsense. I believe in believe. I mean, uh, to be clear, I'm not just saying this because I'm a a cynical Englishman. Uh, To believe in believe is nonsense. To put your faith in faith is utterly meaningless. It is simply to believe in yourself. That's what's really being said, isn't it? Uh, And that is why, even though believe and believe sounds motivating, I actually think it's cruel and heartless. It implies that if things aren't going well for you, it must be because you do not have enough faith. If you're struggling at all over Christmas, surely that means you, you need to believe harder. You just don't have enough faith in faith. Just believe as if that's going to fix everything. And in John 8, we find actually that's the very problem. Uh, The very problem that plagues these Jewish leaders to whom Jesus speaks. Uh, They have faith. They have faith in faith, faith in themselves. You see, if you look back, all the way back to verse 31, there's a bit of a surprise. Uh, Because we discover in verse 31 that the people Jesus is teaching here actually start out believing in him, or or so it seems. Uh, And now in the space of 17 short verses... They're claiming Jesus is demon-possessed. I mean, it's quite the shift, isn't it? And by the end of the chapter, they're actually picking up stones and they're trying to kill him. 
Why are they doing that? Well, it's because Jesus challenges them. He challenges them not to have faith in themselves. He tells them that it isn't enough to be, be raised in the right family, to come from a good Jewish home. It isn't enough to be religious. It isn't enough to be a good person, to do the right kind of religious things. Faith in faith is utterly empty, according to Jesus. The fact that we believe in ourselves is not the solution. No, the fact that we believe in ourselves is, is the heart of the problem. And so what is the solution, according to Jesus Christ? Believe in me, Jesus says. I am God. Uh, I have come to save you from yourselves. And so what you really need to do is stop trusting in yourselves and start trusting in me. And so what is true faith? Faith is not the power of positive thought. Uh, uh, Faith is not just toxic positivity. Uh, Faith is trust in an all-powerful God. It is faith in a God who loves us enough to come down to earth, a God who loves us enough to go to the cross, a God who in Christ defeated death and conquered the grave. And in fact, that brings us nicely to our second point. We've thought about who we believe. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the object of faith. But now let's look at the objective of faith. Uh, What exactly is it that we're meant to believe in Jesus Christ for? What is the objective of faith? The objective of faith. If true faith is in God's eternal Son, now we discover uh, that true faith is faith in God's Son for the gift of eternal life. That's what Jesus came for. And that becomes clear when we consider the first statement in these verses, the statement there in verse 51. Uh, Look down at verse 51. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. If anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. And now Christmas is just over a week away. Uh, And kids, uh, I imagine uh, most of you probably have already prepared some kind of list Uh, a Christmas list for your parents indicating what exactly it is you want on Christmas Day. Uh, Maybe you've had uh, them take you to the store and you've kind of dropped a few hints along the way. Uh, Some of you uh, maybe have uh, highlighted one of those Target or Amazon catalogs that comes through the mail and just kind of left it around in convenient places. Uh, Some of you may even write letters to Santa Every year, we usually make a special card with a list, and then we leave it out on Christmas Eve, along with some cookies and and milk, or maybe even something a little bit stronger. Uh, You don't always get what you want, everything on the list, do you? And then, of course, there is your birthday. Maybe next year, you can think. Uh, But you have something in mind for Christmas. And we have to say, as we think about Jesus Christ, uh, we actually all have something in mind for him, don't we? We all have kind of a Christmas list for Jesus. Uh, we have a whole list of things we would love God to do for us. Maybe we don't actually write them down. I don't know. Maybe we do. Maybe we should. We have a list of things we are believing God for. Uh, things which uh, actually we wish, we hope Jesus Christ might promise for us. Uh, but even as I say that, let me read verse 51 again and, and consider what does Jesus promise? What doesn't he promise? Uh, verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Let's just pause for a moment and consider what Jesus doesn't say. Uh, let's consider what Jesus never says, uh, what he doesn't say anywhere throughout the New Testament, what, what is not on Jesus' Christmas list for you. If anyone keeps my word, he will get a new PlayStation. It's not there, I'm sorry to say. If anyone gets my word, he'll get a new doll. 
That's not there either. I'm sorry it doesn't say that. And to be clear, that's what Jesus doesn't say. And let me tell you what he doesn't say either. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see suffering. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see pain. If anyone keeps my word, he will never experience poverty. If anyone keeps my word, his or her marriage will never fail. If anyone keeps my word, his kids will never fight or scream in the back seat. I mean, don't you wish that one was there? If anyone keeps my word, he will never be lonely. She will never be lonely. If anyone keeps my word, he or she will never be depressed or anxious or despair over unfulfilled hopes. If anyone keeps my word, he or she will never fail in dramatic ways. If anyone keeps my word, he will never get bullied in the playground, never fail exams, never be disappointed, never experience sickness, never face attacks or abuse from other people. And now we might wish that's what Jesus said. We might even in our hearts of hearts believe, believe that's what Jesus says to us, as if believing that hard enough will somehow make it true. But all of those things are empty promises because they're simply things Jesus never says. And the point I'm making here is this. True faith is not wishful thinking. A true faith has to be faith in the right person. But it has to be faith in what that person actually says. And we can't just bring our wish list to Jesus Christ and expect him to do whatever we want. And no true faith is coming to Jesus Christ and, and receiving what he wants to give us. Uh, trusting him to give us what we really need. Trusting him to know what is really best. And so what does Jesus actually say? What does he actually promise to those who believe? Uh, what Jesus says is this, whoever keeps my word will never see death. And I will tell you, I think that's a whole lot better than all of the other things I just said. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? I actually heard one pastor explain that in the scriptures, uh, God uses the word death in three different ways. It refers to literal, physical death. That's the way we usually use the term. And it seems the original hearers understood Jesus to be using the term in that way. That's why they're outraged. I mean, everyone dies, even their great religious leaders of the past. Is Jesus claiming that if you believe his word, if you, you keep his word, you will never die physically? Well, well, that can't be right, can it? I mean, if, if that was true, the world would still be full of 2,000-year-old of Christians. And so we need to understand the two different ways that death is used. Uh, firstly, a point, apart from Jesus Christ, the scriptures tell us we're dead spiritually. That is the state of everyone, everyone apart from Jesus. Uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He tells us that we once were the walking dead. Uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Uh, that is why in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus tells us that to see the kingdom of God, we need new life. We need to be spiritually raised up. We need to be born again. And so is this what Jesus means when he says that those who keep his word will not see death? Well, I actually don't think that can be right either. Uh, because in one sense, every Christian does see death in that way. In fact, that is their state before they become believers. Uh, and Jesus uses the future tense, doesn't he? He will not see death. Uh, rescue from spiritual death is a present and a, and a past reality for every Christian. And so we need to recognize the third way that Jesus uses this term, death. Uh, spiritually, we're dead apart from Christ, and one day all of us will die physically. 
Uh, But this third use of death is perhaps the most sobering, the most painful, the most shocking. Because after we die, all of us will meet with God. And as the author to Hebrews puts it, man is destined to die once and after that to face God's judgment. If we die apart from Christ, as Jesus says just up the page, we will die in our sins. We will die in our sins. And if we die in our sins, we'll face death in another sense. We'll face what the Bible calls the second death. That is, we'll face the wrath of God, the judgment of God in hell for all eternity. In other words, death is a word used to describe hell. And I believe that's what Jesus means. And so in one sense, we could paraphrase. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see hell. He will never go to hell. In other words, Jesus is promising deliverance from everlasting torment. And he's promising more than that. He's promising eternal life. Eternal life in a perfect world. A relationship with God that starts now. uh, But a relationship that will come to fulfillment and consummation in in eternity. An eternity that is free of pain. An eternity that is free of sickness. An eternity that is free from suffering. In fact, a new world, a new heavens and earth where, where all of our best dreams will come true. A world where we will finally receive everything on our Christmas list, everything we have listed that we long for Jesus Christ to do. And this is the objective of faith, not happiness and everything that we want in this life now, no. True faith is a belief in God's eternal son for the gift of eternal life. Uh, And we need to get that straight, don't we? I mean, is this not the antidote to, uh, to those who claim to have given Christianity a try, but but have found that Christianity just just didn't work. Uh, Have you heard this? I've heard people claim this so many times. Uh, So many people who who said that they used to be Christians, but but just didn't do it for them. It didn't work for them. And I want to ask, well, in what sense didn't it work? Uh, Is such a person saying that it didn't live up to the hype? Are they claiming that the promises that Jesus made, that Christians make, seem to be empty? Well, I'd suggest that if you were in that position, maybe the promises that were given to you were simply wrong. Maybe the problem is that Christianity was misrepresented to you in some way. Maybe the problem is that you were taught or led to believe that Jesus promised a happy life, a happy family, that following him meant walking on the clouds. Maybe you were promised your best life now or something like that. Uh, And frankly, you found that being a Christian was very, very disappointing. And I have to say, it's no surprise if that's what you were promised. And I'm very sorry that someone told you those things because they simply aren't true. If you believe in Jesus Christ for those things, if those are the objective of faith, then I don't believe that is true faith at all, according to Jesus. Why? Because our faith needs to be in his word. It has to be in what he actually says. Uh, And what does Jesus say? Well, he tells us to take up our cross and follow him. Take up your cross and follow me. I mean, the cross is a form of torture. Does that sound like fun to you? Later in the gospel, Jesus makes this promise. It's a promise that every Christian here today will confirm. Uh, Jesus promises this. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble. And of course, then he reassures us, don't worry, I have overcome the world. This isn't the end. The true promises of Christ are not peace and prosperity now in this life. In fact, for almost every single Christian, 
in almost every place at almost every time, becoming a Christian has made life a whole lot harder rather than easier. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, people lose their jobs, they lose their families, they lose their homes. And that wouldn't make any sense at all if Jesus promised earthly prosperity, would it? You see, this is one of the big problems with the so-called prosperity gospel. Uh, And it's the so-called prosperity gospel because it is no gospel at all. Uh, And listen, many of us, I think, would rail against that, the prosperity gospel. But I think many of us believe it with a bit of a twist. Uh, We don't expect Jesus Christ to bring financial prosperity, but we do expect him to do other things on our own personal Christmas list. We expect him to bring about a perfect marriage or a perfect family or or perhaps something else. But listen, we need to get this straight. This is not why Jesus came. We've already said Jesus didn't come to bring political freedom. Nor did Jesus come so we could all have happy families. Jesus didn't come to rescue us from earthly calamity and bring earthly comfort. He came to rescue us from hell and bring us to heaven for eternity. I mean, how worldly, how tragically man-centered, how small-minded to think that the reason Jesus died and rose again was simply to transform your earthly family. And so, as I've already said last week, uh, Jesus Christ didn't come for that. No, he came so that you could be adopted into God's eternal family. And nor did Jesus come and die so that you could have a perfect marriage. No, he actually came and died so that you might belong to him, so that you might be married to him as his bride for eternity. I mean, we get this so backwards. I mean, we think of the cross as a pattern for marriage, uh, as if sort of the cross serves the pattern of your happy marriage, when marriage itself is actually meant to be a picture of a a greater marriage. Uh, We were created to be married to Jesus in heaven. And listen, why am I hammering this home? Why am I kind of going off about this? Well, well, because I think it is good news. It's amazing news to most of us. This true object, this true objective of faith, I think it's amazing news for us, especially during the holidays. When we consider what the world is facing, what some of us are facing, I think the call to just believe is completely tone deaf. To think that a bit of extra shopping would somehow make Christmas more fun. I mean, it's it's heartless and insulting, isn't it, to say this to most people? But if what Jesus Christ says here in John chapter 8 is true, I think this really does give us hope. I mean, how many of us look at our lives, how many of us look at our families, and, and sometimes feel like we failed? We just don't live up to the hallmark ideal, do we? And, and does that mean that we've done something wrong? Does it mean that we haven't believed hard enough? Does it mean that our faith has failed? And does it mean that we just have to believe in belief, that we just have to believe a little bit harder? Well, praise God, the answer is no. We have true faith, so long as our faith is in the right person. Uh, And we have true faith, so long as our faith is in the right thing. Uh, True faith is trusting in God's eternal Son for the gift of eternal life. Uh, True faith is true faith in Jesus. It's trusting in him uh, and trusting in what he came to give to you. And something far better than anything and everything on your Christmas list. It is the gift of eternal life. And yet, let's be honest, that's why it's hard, isn't it? Because that is something we have to wait for. 
Like our kids now who are eagerly waiting for Christmas Day, we have to wait for the very greatest gift that Jesus Christ has to give us. And so let me encourage you this Christmas uh, with a call to believe, not in some vacuous sense, not in some sense you might see it over the, the doors of a store. And don't believe in yourself. Believe in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Uh, and don't believe for prosperity and happiness and peace on earth now. Uh, believe in Christ for the gift of eternal life that he came to give you. And if you do believe in him, take courage. Take comfort that you do have true faith according to the Lord Jesus. Have faith that he will make everything right in his time. In fact, let's turn to him now. Let's ask him to do that. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for for the message of John chapter 8. Thank you for everything that you've taught us about freedom, about faith, about family. Lord, many of these things have been challenging to us, sometimes shocking. But Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks the truth. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to believe your word. But, Lord, thank you that you sent your Son, and that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. And so we pray that you might work that true faith in each of our hearts this morning. And, Lord, we pray in that you would fill us with joy, fill us with comfort, fill us with delight this Christmas. And we pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's name for his glory. Amen.